From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. We are live on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee and streaming online at wvfs.fsu.edu. I'm your host, Gary Putnick, and it's time for the conversation everybody has been waiting for and no one has ever done before. MJ versus LeBron. Who do you got? Anything? No one? No one? Okay. Well, if you'd like, maybe this week... We'll have a graveyard shift on goats, hmm, perhaps. Actual goats or just basketball players or football players or baseball players. But either way, we're not going to be talking about that just yet, or maybe. I don't know. We'll figure that out. But we will be getting into the FSU and the FSU football and their 42-26 to loss at Notre Dame this past weekend. But first, as always, I'm joined by my friend and co-host Austin Reynolds. Everything is looking up for Atlanta sports right now. I mean, can anything go wrong? <laughs> You're talking about Atlanta sports, so naturally, yes. I mean, Atlanta United over in MLS, they're making a playoff push. The Falcons did fire Dan Quinn. I I had to tweet out one of my favorite Attack on Titan panels, uh, Aaron Yeager saying, I am free because I am free from Dan Quinn. And so is the rest of this fan base. I I personally think it happened five games too late, but we're going to get into that a little bit later. And then Braves, obviously, they start the National League Championship Series tonight against a loaded Dodgers squad, but I'm, I'm very excited for that series. It's it's impressive to see everything going well in Atlanta, and and from outside looking in, I'm just waiting to see when is it going to go wrong because it feels eminent in a way. But yeah. hopefully things don't go down because it, when Atlanta sports are good, it's pretty fun to watch. Atlanta, it's Atlanta sports. Yeah. It's not if it goes wrong; it's it's when. I was going to say the exact same okay. thing. I'm trying to look a bit more <laughs> optimistically for you guys, but okay, sure. And and always, we are also joined by Sebastian Angeliano in the fish tank there. Your Tampa Bay Rays are, I believe, two, three. They're up three outs away right now from winning Game Two against the Houston Astros and going two up in the ALCS. Are the nerves setting in, or are you? Is there any worry that the Rays might miss this World Series? I mean, I've been watching a lot of American League baseball um, over the past uh, two and a half weeks, and if there's anything that I've seen, it's that nothing is for granted when everybody rakes um, in the American League. Uh, nothing is for certain right now, according to Mark Tompkin of the Tampa Bay Times. Um, Astros uh, have two men on in the ninth. Uh, Snyder's on the mound with Anderson. But, um, you know, it, it is three outs away. A 2-0 lead, um, as we were talking about um, before the show, is is a good sign, a, a great start. Um, but um, I am holding my breath all the way through. I would be too, because Lemus Diaz is up right now. He's got a two-two count. It looks actually now the bases are loaded. Lemus Diaz is on now. No okay. outs. Bases juiced for George Springer. That's going to be an interesting series. I don't think it's done just yet. I don't have the Rays sweeping at all. I don't even have the Rays winning this series. But we'll get that later. But first, also we have Gabe Tisnes on the show, V89 anchor and veteran. Gabe, we haven't had the talk chance to really talk to you about your New Orleans Saints so far this year, because really you've just been on to talk. Uh, FSU football, but how do you feel about their chances this year, and especially looking forward to their game tonight against the Chargers on Monday Night Football? You know, it it was a little complicated start to the season, but it's expected from the Saints. We haven't started. Uh, what what is it like? We 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 just usually start off slow, but it's okay. I'm still pretty optimistic. I think this is our last year to win it. If I'm being completely honest. So <laughs> our eggs are in this basket, and you know, with Drew, it's it's really hard to see him sometimes struggle, but. He's still that quarterback uh, for the Saints, in my opinion. I don't think we have to start talking about James Winston anytime soon. I was just about and, to jump in there. James Winston's waiting in the wings, ready to step in. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've heard whispers, but no, we're good. I, I just hope that we can find the, the consistency and, and peak at the right moment because if we don't do that by the end of the season, if we start peaking a little bit too early, then it's all going to be for nothing. Well, this is going to be a fun game tonight on Monday Night Football. I'm looking forward to seeing what Herbert can do against the Saints and seeing if he can make it kind of a changing of the guards, so to speak, in terms of quarterback play in the NFL. But we also have Scott Clemens on the Twitter tonight at talk underscore Tomahawk. So go on there, give him a follow, interact with the polls, because I'm sure he's going to have some great ones tonight because there are going to be a lot of hot takes for this for this evening's episode. And as always, Florida State, uh, this is the third time we've let off the show like this. Florida State starts the season, it starts or heads into their next game after losing a football game. So Florida State lost to Notre Dame 42 to 26 in South Bend. They now one in three on the season. And Notre Dame didn't look totally in control, but it also, it also really didn't, I don't know, it was a weird game. Awesome, what do you got? Yeah, I mean, they, they had the number five, I was going to say seed, they were ranked fifth in the nation in the AP poll coming into this game. And I think most of the people who follow college football were expecting a much bigger margin of victory for Notre Dame. They, in my opinion, did not play like the fifth best team in the country. Because, I mean, Florida State hung 17 on them in the first quarter. They weren't really able to keep that pace for the rest of the game obviously because they ended up losing but i mean that's that's a bad look right out of the uh, right out of the gate rather it could be due to the the extended break or i say break the the extended uh, lapse in play um that they that notre dame had because of their uh, lots of coronavirus tests um they had three weeks off from their last game against usf so it could be rust i said the the rest factor was going to be bigger for them last week but First quarter proved that uh, proved that wrong. Yeah, FSU. Re- I mean, how big was that fumble on Notre Dame's first try for Florida State? Because that, that it kicked it all off. It didn't let Florida State get down early. Florida State actually was leading this game at one point three to nothing, nothing very early after a Fitzgerald field goal. But it, the momentum felt to change a little bit right there. And then, it, like FSU was in this game for a while, and it wasn't one of those games where. They get hit in the, punched in the mouth first, and then they don't get back up. They kept getting back up every time after Notre Dame would march down the field very quickly. I think their longest, one of their longest touchdown drives was a little bit over three minutes. So Notre Dame was flying down the field. But FSU was able to keep up with this big dog. And keeping up is a bit of maybe a bit of a stretch considering they lost by, was it 16, 16 points? Yeah. yeah, 16 points. So, But it, it's one of those games. It's one of the first times we... in our times as students here at FSU where FSU felt like they were in a game with a big dog for a while. And I don't know, can you guys think of any time, Sebastian, you got your hand raised? Uh, yeah, well, I, I can't really think of any time in the last two years that Florida State has really gone toe-to-toe with, with, a, with a, you know, a big dog. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I will say that we, we throw around the words uh, quality loss and jest a lot. <laughs> Uh, this did feel, however, like a, a quality loss. And, and let me explain why. When was the last time that you came out of a Florida State win thinking, like, without any, like, hesitancy, well, it was this team, where it was, where it was a, a moment where you were like, no, that win felt good all the way through. It felt like they played four complete quarters or just they, they did enough and a half to, to run away with the football game. When was the last time you really felt that? I haven't felt that in a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the, the the team played a phenomenal first half. Um, I'm going to I'm going to gush a little here, and um, that's a start. Okay, the defense was solid through a, through one half. That's a start. 
Um, off the field, we're seeing uh, dudes enter the transfer portal. That's another big start. So things are, um, it's like you're picking, we're, we're done, finally done picking at the scabs, and we've kind of let go of our arm, and the, the wounds are starting to heal, and the team is finally moving forward. It's so refreshing to say that. It does feel like that, and I know Mike Norvell and a lot of coaches in general just don't care for these moral victories, but this really does feel like a moral victory, and I'm going to put my stamp on it. This was my Lee Corso good loss of the, of the year, of 2020. This is it right here, because there really is no other way to really spin this game, but you Florida State fans should feel a little bit more optimistic after this game, especially how they played against, like I said, a top dog. Gabe, what did you? How do you feel coming out of this game, uh, looking at this team from an objective perspective? Objectively, I have to say I have hope, and that hope remains to be determined on what that actually is because I don't see this team doing anything this season. Now, what it means for the future—that's perhaps where I have to start thinking about because you know this is probably last year of James Blackman. Who knows about Jordan Travis's future, but looks like we're going to have a new quarterback next season, unfortunately for uh, Jordan Travis truthers. But Mike Norvell seems to finally have a group that's starting to buy in, in my opinion. And I, I think it wasn't necessarily a good loss, but it was the best loss in Florida State football for a while, in my opinion, definitely since I've been in college. So for that, I have to be a little bit optimistic about where we're going. Yeah, I mean, you talk about games that you come out of feeling confident, feeling feeling happy. I honestly have not had one of those since I've been at FSU. The only time since we were talking about times that FSU had competed against a respectable team for even a half, the last time I can remember feeling that is the first half against Alabama, game one of 2017, before DeAndre Francois went down. And uh, so, so it's been a while. And to do that against the number five team in the country, I, I think... This weekend, this past weekend, was the first time this season that FSU had covered the spread. So that's 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 an incredible accomplishment. Especially a 21-point spread. Exactly. Because everyone, I was following a lot of pickers, and they were saying Florida State was dead in the water, take Notre Dame, yada, 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 and they covered, which is impressive. But, you meant, Gabe, you mentioned the quarterback play and how it's not going to be black, it most likely won't be Blackman next year. It most likely won't be Travis next year. And the Band-Aid that is Jordan Travis right now seems to be sticking pretty well, even with the amount of water that it's taken on, whatever. He played well against Notre Dame. He had 200, what is it, 204 yards, 13 for 24 in the air, and then he also had a rushing touchdown alongside a passing touchdown. So he really did show up in this game as much as you'd really hope, especially excluding really that last drive where he threw an interception on the goal line. But it felt something like the quarterback play just looked different and it felt a whole lot better in the in my eyes really because he didn't sit around the pocket too long he didn't let the play crumble around him he if he saw something was breaking down in the secondary he took it and he just ran with it and saw how many yards he get and that it shows because he was the leading rusher for Florida State at 94 yards so it's kind of one of those Ryan Fitzpatrick situations when in comparing to Miami, to Miami Dolphins last year. And I know that's not what a lot of people want to hear about in terms of optimism for this team. But if the quarterback can realize his wide receivers aren't just going aren't getting it done against a top five team in the nation, you've got to make something work. And he made something work and he did his part to keep Florida State in this game. So, Austin, I mean, what did you like out of Travis in this game? 
I liked really everything that you just mentioned, and it kind of goes in tandem with the offensive line helping him to create those big runs. They might not have done might not have done the same with FSU's running back core, but just their ability to protect Travis uh, long enough for him to realize he doesn't have a, a viable downfield option and then make the decision to take off on his own. It's not really something that we've seen in a, in a long time at FSU. I mean, James Blackman is not a dual-threat quarterback, obviously. He's more of a pocket passer, so you never really see those big runs down the field. So this is a breath of fresh air. And, I mean, it, it's just great to see, honestly. He's already developing as a passer. I, I think uh, he's going to be in the mix for the starting job at the end of this season. So I'm excited to see more from him. Yeah, and we constantly keep hearing when it comes to conversation about next year, Chubba's starting to get a little bit more healthy week by week. He's starting to progress. He's taking more snaps in practice. He's doing more workouts. He's doing X, Y, and Z. So hopefully there could be a true competition come next uh, summer, and that will be a lot of fun to watch. But also speaking about Jordan Travis and speaking about injuries really in general, Jordan Travis did suffer a little hand injury there at the end of the game against Notre Dame, and he came out for the last drive after that pick that he threw, uh, and James Blackman took over. There was a lot of, I think there's still a lot of concern about this injury because hand injuries can come back out real quickly because the hand is one of those delicate things, really, where if you hit someone's helmet, if you get hit by someone making a tackle, if you land wrong on your wrist or whatever, you fall awkwardly, it, it breaks. And that's something a lot of people are concerned about. Mike Norvell said, He's uh, progressing well. He did not practice on Sunday. He was or he was really limited in practice on Sunday, but he has optimism that he will be out there on Saturday. Are you guys as concerned about this hand injury as many others are? Gabe, we can start with you. You know, I said this wasn't necessarily a good loss in my opinion. Maybe the best loss, sure. But the reason I say that is because I don't think the formula that Florida State used against Notre Dame was the right formula or a sustainable formula in my opinion because you cannot have your quarterback rushing for 96 yards and being your leading rusher while being your, you know, leading passer. It just doesn't make sense, in my opinion, because the, the way that he was taking hits on Saturday, it was, it was just completely unnecessary. Sometimes he is his fault, but the way that they were just designing runs, I don't think it can last the whole season. So for that, I think I'm not necessarily concerned about his injury as of now, but with every other hit every week, it, it might become a problem in the future. I kind of feel the same way. Like, I'm not too worried about it right now. Uh, you see some hand injuries that keep quarterbacks or uh, other players out for an extended period of time. Look back to last NFL season, Drew Brees had a hand injury, injury that kept him out like five, six games. So this does not sound as serious. Uh, Travis and Norvell and the rest of the coaching staff have made it sound like he will be available for this game on Saturday and be like be a, be a full participant in practice later in the week. So if we start to see him absent from practice, say, like, middle of the week, I'll get concerned. But for now, I mean, based on what I've been told, then I, I'm, I'm not too concerned. Getting back to Gabe's point there on that this offensive plan that they had against Notre Dame isn't sustainable, I, I really I think this is the most sustainable and the best option that Florida State has yeah. at this point in time because they don't have... Jordan Travis isn't a true pocket passer. James Blackman is a true pocket passer. We've seen how both of those players do now in games against big teams. Against Notre Dame. Oh, no, uh, Francois played that game against Notre Dame, I believe. Did he? I, I think he did. Yeah, he did play that game against Notre Dame. But still, we see how th- those kind of quarterbacks play in those certain games against big teams. And we see the result. And the result that Jordan Travis produced was a whole lot better than any result that I've seen James Blackman produce. It gave where... 
where can they maybe fix and tweak this offense to maybe make it fit your idea a little bit better of a more sustainable and better uh, team? Yeah, by no means do I want to see James Blackman back under center. Like, <laughs> I think he's been a great quarterback, or I should say a great leader in the, in the locker room um, for the Florida State Seminoles. But for me, I think we need to go more short-term passing because that'll draw the defense, you know, a little bit closer to line of scrimmage. And then you can use the play action and hit him with bombs down the field, which they have been doing. But it's not been uh, nearly as effective because it seems like Terry is the only real deep option that we have right now. So I just I think that we're not utilizing our short-term receivers as much as we should. And also work a little bit on the screen game, in my opinion. Yeah, that, that's a very fair point because, I mean, even looking back at the Jacksonville State game, I think Travis completed passes of 38, 40, and 41 yards, and he uh, compiled just over 200 yards of passing offense in that game. So that's that's 120 yards right there. So the short passing game just was not there in that game. And there was the one long bomb to Terry for the touchdown, 48 yards, I believe, against Notre Dame. So really more of the same. Uh, just working on that short to mid-range passing is going to be key for Travis moving forward. And I, I, I agree that that needs to be a bigger part of FSE's offense because you can't rely on... Uh, scrambles out of the pocket you can't rely on just bombs over the top because teams are going to learn to shut that down eventually well the only thing that i really have to counter that with is working on the short game on that short game passing that's what the defenses are looking to do they're really looking to stay low and sit low and not truly sit back in their defense and get all the way back into a deep secondary situation because that's when jordan travis takes advantage and runs the ball for 20 yards true true so if they can sit if they can sit low in this defensive scheme then They'll be able to contain any run that Travis produces or a play action or an RPO or whatever. So they do have to establish that deep ball at some point because, like we saw there with uh, Terry, it allows for some of those big plays and big opportunities. So you can get the defense to maybe worry about that situation to then may start taking the under routes and undercutting this defense once they start to get a bit more worrisome. So it, you have to really look at this at a multifaceted purpose and that you have to do one to get the other. And if you stay with one, you might not. Or if you do with the low game, if you work on short to mid range, I think really what you have to work on there is just really accuracy, because you don't maybe have to get the most open guys, but if you can find the way to uh, thread the ball in there, that's when it's going to really count, and that's where you're going to get your big bang plays. So that's that's one thing. But I want to we can keep moving with the wide receiver talk really, because that was really leading me to my next point. Tamari and Terry had nine receptions in this game. Ontario Wilson had two. Every other receiver for Florida State had one. That is a huge disparity, and it kind of goes back to your point, the deep ball and against the short game and mid-range passing. It really showed that he only likes to throw to Terry, and even Terry was sometimes taking the ball in the screen or sometimes on a button route on the outside. But does he trust too much with Terry on this, or is it really just he's the only open guy? I think it's some of both. Like, Terry is the deep threat on this team. So if defenses are doing what you're saying and defending the short passing game just so that Travis can't get dink and dunk plays, drives down the field, uh, then obviously Terry is going to be getting the majority of the catches. And honestly, he's he's just the best safety blanket on this offense because he is he has been the biggest contributor in the pass-catching game for the past few years. And naturally, somebody that's really just learning to pass at the collegiate level is going to rely on his best receiver. So I, it's it's natural that... Terry's going to get the majority of the targets, but this disparity that you mentioned where only Ontario Wilson had two and everybody else had one, 
that's something that needs to be worked out in the very near future because i mean teams are going to start sending one defender or maybe they're even going to double cover terry send them all down the field uh just send two guys down the field to cover terry so that you can just negate the deep passing game as well so there, there needs to be some more creativity on offense for sure okay you know another thing that i was thinking about was uh ladamian webb had 13 rushes but joshua corbin and tuafili had five combined so it's not just a passing uh disparity that we are going on at least for this game that's why i keep thinking that this game was a little bit uh hard to read because of how it started with fumble and then the muff punt so i i don't know maybe there is a better game script ahead for us that will actually show the plan but for now it seems like it's just like running around and scrambling and seeing what happens and i don't believe i don't believe in that i know it's college i know travis isn't the most conventional quarterback but i think we need more balance in this team to move forward that's that's that backyard football we're talking about that russell wilson type style of football but one thing that i could really come back with the run game at least is Notre Dame has better offensive has better defensive linemen matched up against our offensive linemen. Clearly. It's going to be a lot tougher to run the ball that way. So they had to make they had to spread this defense out in a way where it gave them a chance to produce points and get yards. So maybe that's why Florida State didn't run the ball as much this game as they did against Jacksonville State because we did see a lot more rushes in that one because of the matchup that Florida State had against the Gamecocks, but it's going to come down to a lot of interesting situations, but I did think that was weird that blood, that Webb was used 13 times and Jay Sean Corbin was two and Toafili was three. So, I mean, it's once again one of those weird disparities that you're getting where it's not really, like, which I thought, I mean, we talked about this last week. We said Florida State has three good running backs right now that they can use and kind of rotate guys out. <laughs> and they just, Mike Norvell heard that and he said, nope, we're not doing that this week. Yep. And it's just weird. I, do, I mean, do you have any idea on what's going on there? I don't really know because, I mean, we saw in Jackson, in the Jacksonville State game, FSU leaned on the running game because Travis is so raw as a passer. So I just figured that would continue for at least the next few games. But when your your three main running backs combined for under, I believe, 70 yards, that is not a formula for success, especially with such a raw passer as Travis. So, I mean, maybe North Carolina is the game where they try and get the run game involved because Notre Dame's defensive line, as you mentioned, is a lot more fierce when compared to FSU's offensive line. They were not letting FSU open up any holes uh, on at the line of scrimmage. So uh, maybe we see a change this week. Maybe we see a, new, a, a change two weeks down the road. Who knows? But the running backs definitely do have to get more involved, I'd say. Florida, was it Florida State had four rushers get 10 total carries, 10 or more carries against uh, – uh, Jacksonville State and like I said only one got 10 or more carries this time around and so it's it's going to be interesting and we can re- really now start to look forward to the next opponent coming to Tallahassee here and that's the UNC Tar Heels and yeah. it's going to be an interesting one once again another it is the top five team in the, or the number five team in the nation the Tar Heels come into town as as of the last AP poll coming out yesterday the last time FSU played two played back-to-back games against top five teams was in the 2005-6 season, where they played number five Virginia Tech and won 27-22 in the ACC championship game, and then number three Penn State, where they lost 26-23 in the Orange Bowl. So it's been quite a long time since FSU has had back-to-back tests like this. It's and especially one where there might be a little bit of bad. Blo- I don't know about bad blood, but at least on the fan perspective, it might be bad blood because quarterback for UNC Sam Howell 
has been really good since he decommitted from Florida State. So this is going to be a little bit of a revenge game maybe for Howell because maybe some of the flack that he's received on the internet for flipping from the Knolls to the Tar Heels. But what are you guys are what are you looking forward to this weekend and what might be your key to the game? Just consistency on the offensive line. I mean, that's what we've been hammering for the past few weeks. You saw glimpses of it in Notre Dame, like I alluded to earlier, allowing Travis to get 19 carries and lead the team in rushing, which is going to be this team's bread and butter for the foreseeable future. So just consistency on the offensive line, allowing that to happen, allowing some of the the actual running backs on the team to get involved, which we have not seen in a couple weeks, um, that's going to be my key. I think the defense really needs to step up in this game, especially in the run the run defense, because UNC is going to run wild enough, and that's going to completely destroy any game script that Mike Novell comes into the game with. And that'll lead to what we saw on Saturday against Notre Dame, which will just result in another loss for us. Essentially, we need to run the ball and also throw the ball in a 50-50 balance, in my opinion, to win. And that also means that the defense needs to you know, slow them, slow them down because they, they both need to be on, basically what I'm saying is win the, the time of possession battle as much as you can because otherwise the defense is going to get tired and it's going to be too much for Jordan Travis to play here in the ball. I agree on that one. Those are good points by both of you guys. Sebastian, do you got anything? Well, I'm, I'm going into this game not really expecting um, a win. All I want to see is a continuation of what we saw this weekend or this past weekend. Uh, I want to see... Uh, and improve to discipline on both sides of the ball. If if the Knolls can keep their um, penalty yards down, um, they're obviously going to set themselves up for success down the line when you, when the matchup isn't as uh, lopsided, let's call it, because Florida State is nowhere near a five seed. Um, or maybe they are, actually, because last week. Come on, five, come on. Five get, don't do get, out get out of here. Get out of here with that. They are. Uh, it's, Cut this I'm guy's just, vine. I'm so used to not saying that that I just kind of defaulted to, oh, well, they're no, it's, it's no, they have no show. But who knows? Um, if they can if they can keep their tempers down, if they can get their heads down and focus on, um, you know, snap after snap after snap, I think, well, we might see something special this weekend. I, I'm not going to be we'll, terribly optimistic. We'll, we'll wait on the predictions. Yeah, Hold no. off on that I'm just not, yet. I'm but not, I, I I'm like not calling a score. That's a, that's for sure. Okay, we'll see. Well, you can maybe give your like thoughts on how the game might end up or how the game might go throughout the game. But for me, the the key to winning this game for Florida State is limiting first downs when the other team is on first and second down. Florida State gave up just here. Where is it? They gave up just. They gave oh sorry they gave up 22 first downs on first and second down against Notre Dame. They gave up three, two on third and one on fourth against the Fighting Irish. That is huge. That's a huge disparity because when you're not getting the other team to a third down situation, Notre Dame had eight opportunities on third down. They only converted on two, which is crazy. But that just shows you that this defense can step up on third down. But when you're not getting to third down, it really really hurts. And if they're going to want to win this game. The team who has a better third down conversion rate usually wins. And obviously that wasn't the case this past weekend. But still, it's generally indicative of winning and losing. And that that's very true. And one more point that I want to go back to before we head to break in predictions is just limit the dumb penalties. Because we've, we've been starting to see a decrease in those, I think, in the past couple games. But the one that sticks out like a sore thumb for me is the unnecessary roughness on Jaden Lars would be. 
that gave Notre Dame a free 15 yards, eventually uh, resulted in a, t- in a touchdown, and made the game re- put the game really out of reach for FSU. Because if that call goes the other way, if Jaden Lars would be does not shove a dude who's already out of bounds for no reason, then maybe FSU has a chance. Um, I mean, th- they were in position to make it a one-score game. Jordan Travis driving down the field. Like, people focus on that interception. People don't focus on the, the fact that he was driving to make it a one-score game. So if if that penalty, if, if those types of penalties go away, then it's going to be a much uh, brighter outlook for FSU. Well, here's the bright side for both you and Sebastian, because you both brought up penalties. Florida State had nine against Jacksonville State, and then they had seven this past weekend. So the numbers are going down because they had 12 against Miami. So yeah. they're cons- they're starting to trend downward, which is great to hear because this is the team that has le- been the bottom five in the nation in penalties in the past two two to three seasons. So, like you said, if they can do that, they have a chance to win. If they can limit those stupid penalties, limit the bad calls, then you put yourself in a position to win games. So let's figure out who's going to win this game with some predictions. Austin or Gabe, who wants to go first? I can go first. Okay, yeah, yeah, go ahead, Gabe. Sure. Um, Another third down stat for you, Gary. (laughs) We went 2 for 14 on third down. I was wrong then. (laughs) That's another uh, third down area we got to work on. But, yeah, Florida State, unfortunately, we'll we'll lose once again. Uh, Let's go with. 37 to 24. How about that? That's a good prediction. That's a, that's a fair predict. That's a fair score. Yeah, I was thinking somewhere. I mean, sad, yeah. I was thinking somewhere in the same range. I, I predicted 35-21 this past week, I think, or 34-20. or something like that. You had one number off on each compared to my yeah, score. <laughs> I, I, think, I think you were 35-21 and I was 34-20. So yeah, that, that was, was it. Same margin of uh, defeat, just by one point difference. But... I'm actually going to run it back. I'm going to say 3420. <laughs> 34-20. Just, just, just hammer it until it works. Sebastian, you got anything? I, I think UNC will play a full game and Florida State will play a, a, a solid half. So let's say uh, 28-35. 28-35 Tar Heels. All right. And, I'm going. And actually, do not be surprised if this just turns into a boat race because uh, UNC was in one with, I believe, Virginia Tech last oh week. Oh, my gosh. They, so many points. They won 56-45. So that defense looking a little suspect, and FSU's defense we know is, yeah. No, suspect is, no, not <laughs> no, suspect. They've, they've gone past suspect. Yeah. They're, they're convicted. Yes, they're convicted. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. But I got uh, UNC taking this one 38-35. It comes down to another God. field goal in Doak Campbell Stadium, just like their last meeting in 2016. Another heartbreaker. It might just be. But I think that's all we got for this first half. Gabe, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. We love your predictions. We love your analysis. You got anything to say goodbye? No, just thank you so much for having me on the show. It's always fun to hang out with you guys and talk around, even though I can't be on the studio. (laughs) Yeah, we wish we could have more people in the studio. It's always a blast having everyone in here and then also having our meetings afterwards. But hopefully we'll see each other soon in person again. But until then, thank you for coming on for this uh, week's episode. And... You are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.
Welcome back to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. We're back for the second half. We got a lot lined up for the second half, like we, like we have for the past few weeks. I mean, man, it's been a whole lot of professional sports going on around the nation. We've NBA, NHL, MLB, NFL, and we'll lead off with what just finished last night. And after seven months to the day, seven months to the day since the NBA shut down on March 11th, 2020, the NBA finishes their 2020 or 2019-2020 season. Man, it doesn't even feel like it was the 2019 season. No, that's that's a while ago. Yeah, the 2019-2020 season closes on October 11th with the Los Angeles Lakers raising the Larry O'Brien Trophy. Don't raise your hand to that. Don't fist bump to that. Don't fist bump. <laughs> They're my Western Conference team. Oh, you're, allow, allow it. Allow it. Okay, but they raise their 17th Larry O'Brien Trophy. They are now tied with the Boston Celtics for the most all-time. And we're joined by uh, V89 rookie Max Escarpio. How you doing, man? Hey, how are you guys today? We're doing well, man. We'll we'll get into some NBA stuff right now. So the Lakers close out. We I still was confident in my Heat in seven. It started to look that way once we got to Friday night. The Heat kept it pushing. They kept going along. Jimmy Butler just had another heck of a game. He had Bam finally back to help him alongside. After that, after I think that was Bam's second, or was that his first game back? It was. I think it was his second game back. Yeah, but, but Dragic's first game. Dra- back. No, Dragic's first was last night against uh, the. Oh yeah, I, I yeah, thought we were talking about six. last night. My Sorry, bad. my bad. But yeah, Bam, he finally had Bam back. The Heat started to look like the team that they were beforehand, and then last night it kind of just all went down the drain, and the Lakers just proved why they were the better team, honestly. So. Max, we can start off with you. What was your analysis of this series, and did we get the right champion this year? I think we definitely got the right champion. The Clippers weren't looking too good throughout the playoffs. Uh, the Heat, a good contender coming into it, but we all knew the Lakers were going to be a championship conference team, and um, they they took it with AD and LeBron for, this, for LeBron's second year. I would agree with that. I mean, you, you look at some of the stuff that has happened to this team. Uh, losing Avery Bradley, he opted out coming into the bubble, um, not looking hot at all in terms of shooting or three-point defense uh, during the seeding games. People started to lose a little of the the starry-eyed uh, quality when looking at the Lakers because they, they had long been considered a championship favorite. So there was a little bit of a narrative against them, but in the end, they are the rightful champions, I believe, because they... They gentlemen swept their way through the Western Conference, and then outside of those two games against Miami that uh, Miami won, uh, the Lakers definitely did look like the better team. Yeah, and that's really what it comes down to. I, people are going to joke and say, oh, this one has an asterisk on it. I joked with uh, Blake Devine with that uh, former sports editor of the FS View because he's a big Laker fan out there in Cali, but mm. this one is, this is a real title. This one yeah. took a lot to win because... You can say, oh, they didn't have the fans. They didn't. They weren't going back and forth. They weren't traveling. It really wasn't a real playoff. I mean, this is this is as basketball as it gets here. This yeah. is, shows you re, who's the real team here, and it really even shows you the true mental like uh, fortitude yeah. of these players because they're away from their family for nearly three months. I mean, July, August, September, and now half of October. So it's about three months of time that you're sitting in a hotel room going back and forth to play basketball, hotel, basketball, hotel. And it's a never-ending AAU tournament, really. And so I really do think the Lakers deserve this. And credit to them, credit to AD. I'm really happy for him getting one. I mean, 
he would not I don't he, I don't think he would have ever gotten one in uh, New Orleans because they wouldn't have had Zion there and it wouldn't wouldn't do them any good to have Zion and AD on the same floor. But he really deserves it for all he's been through. He's a good he's a great player and I mean he's the one guy that I'm really happy for here. I agree because he's he's long been regarded even uh, back when he was in New Orleans as a, a good player. I, I mentioned this before, a good player, but not an, not an elite closer. You saw that against the Nuggets. You saw his fourth quarter performances throughout the playoffs. Uh, he just erased that narrative completely. So he was definitely one of the greatest contrib- contributors on this team behind LeBron James, finals MVP, four for four. But, I mean, just hearkening back to the reality, I guess you could say, of this this NBA finals, even before the the restart occurred, you had guys that were just kind of sitting in limbo for three months, four months, uh, having to keep up NBA-level conditioning. You saw the difference between guys that were dedicated to their craft and came back into the bubble uh, determined to play, determined to win, to lead their guys to a championship. And there were some guys that just kind of sat on their laurels for a little bit and their teams bombed out in the play-in stage. So, I mean, there, there's a lot that went into this championship and I will fight anybody who says that this is a, a Mickey Mouse championship. <laughs> so, yeah, a literal Mickey Mouse championship. Yeah. And we sat, sadly, we didn't get anyone saying that they were going to Disney World after the game. I, I mean, missed that. <laughs> well, they, that's really a Super Bowl thing, but I think the okay. joke was still there. And I was hoping, I was hoping LeBron and his corny, per, his corny self would say that because yep. you know he would. I mean, I was waiting for Rachel Nichols to kind of throw him a lob. Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, that. Oh my gosh, that would have been so easy for her. But I don't know. Credit for her for having some oh, yeah. journalistic integrity there and not stooping to our level yeah. really and what we would have done in that situation. Yeah. And I mean, she and all the other media members that were in the bubble for as long as they were. Just shout outs to them. I want to say. Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, just being in there for that long. Gosh, I can't. That's so tough. Mm-hmm. And or Sebastian, you got anything? Well, yeah, I was just thinking about the uh, the the final interview that he gave on um, on the court and how he said, um, "I I want my respect." And I'm, I'm I was I gotta admit I was a little confused by it, mostly because like you know like what, what, what kind of respect are you looking for? Everybody, you were the favorite to win the finals this year. You were the favorite to um, from from the beginning of the first round before the postseason. Um, People were when when people say, "Oh man, who's gonna guard this guy um, on the Lakers, or who on the Lakers are gonna guard this guy?" And insert whoever they played against during the postseason here. Um, it's just people kind of reasoning with themselves. Well, how can we kind of justify, you know, not just calling Lakers in five every time? And that's what happened. We we got a Lakers in five. People rate you as the number two play uh, at the very least, the number two player in history. Like, wh- wh- why are you asking? Like, I want my respect. Yeah, I get that-, that it's a fundamental part of each, uh, chant each of his rings that you get like an iconic line. You know, um, the one that stands out for me the most is far and away. You know, the first Miami ring. Where I was he gonna, says, it's, it's about, about time. damn time, yep. right? I was going to say, Cleveland, this was for you. Yeah, that's the the one from Miami always sticks in my head because I remember the morning after on SportsCenter. You know how SportsCenter sometimes does like songs or whatever, remixes of mm-hmm. interviews? They did one where, where he said it, it was based off of It's About Damn Time, and that song is stuck in my head for actually years. I don't remember anything else about that series apart from that song. But, um, yeah, it's... It, for me, it was it's the one part of last night that like was wait why why are you talking about what are you talking about but 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 see it doesn't matter if he's the second best player of all time it doesn't matter if he's the best player of all time it doesn't matter if he's far down so far down the list that he's not even in the conversation 
players look for whatever can motivate them because no matter how much critic or no matter how much praise he gets rather he is going to look for that criticism to kind of fuel his play so he he honed in on the people that were discounting the lakers all this da- all this time in the bubble and that's what he used i, I believe to fuel himself and his team to a championship so if, i mean if, he if also that, if that said hurt, yesterday yeah. after the game he said uh what are they going to say now he said what are they going to say now and he kept repeating it mm-hmm. because a lot of um haters you can say before we're saying he can't win in the West and he can't win in the Lakers and he just went to Hollywood for movies and, and stuff like that. So he proved them wrong. And I guess he wants his respect because they were saying so much about the team. I know what the haters haters will say right now. You still have a losing record in the NBA yeah, finals. Four and, six. four and six right now. That ain't six. So, I mean, that's just still a fact that's out there. But we'll talk about a team that also deserves some but, respect. But before we move, move on, though, I, I do want to say that, like, I have to, I have to, like, I, I, I'm not a LeBron hater, but I, I, I am one of the people who, who does put him at that number two. Um, and I, I have to say that, like, he has been so graceful in the way that he has risen to the occasion because I was looking at this one clip uh, from 2001 on ESPN right um, it's a it's a clip that they they play or a, a little video that they played right before uh, his team's his high school team's game against Oak Hill the number one team in the nation at the time um, of him just just listing off the greats you know uh, Kobe Shaq uh, Michael uh, Jordan obviously uh, Barkley, you know, listing listing name after name after name and after name, and then they're like, "Well, let's see if LeBron James can rise to the occasion." Like this dude from minute zero, not just that network either, but but the entire uh, world of basketball media has held him to nearly impossible standards. And sure, uh, four and seven is not um, is not like a you know, in a vacuum, that's that's incredible. But at the same time, haters will point to that and say it's it's four and seven. That's that's still a losing record in the in the in it's, in the finals. Well, with LeBron, also, it's kind of tough to say you guys are holding me to these expectations when you're also the player that's getting chosen one tattooed on his back. So I mean, you're kind of putting yourself up to that standard as well. But we can talk about the whole LeBron versus MJ versus Kareem versus whoever you want to talk about on another day. I want to talk about a team that deserves a little bit respect too. It's the Miami Heat. I mean, they just, they, everyone thought, okay, once uh, Bam and Gorn went down after game one, it's going to be an easy sweep. The Lakers are doing it. It's over. Just book it now. Let's book, get our flights out of here for at least maybe game five and we'll be good. And then Jimmy keeps fighting and then he keeps fighting again. I mean, it made the made Heat Nation kind of feel a way that they haven't felt in a while. And being that underdog, it really motivates him, really. And especially that last game that he played. He took one minute of rest, 47 minutes of play in that game in a 111-108 to win over the Lakers. Max, what are your thoughts on this Heat team, and how will they go down in this, in the, you know, I guess, in this basketball season? I mean, even during the regular season, when we drafted Tyler Hero and we drafted Jimmy Butler, none of us thought we, th- we were going to be here. Even I didn't think we were going to be here. And I've been a Heat fan for the, uh, my whole life. But each player contributed to the floor. And rookies like Kendrick Nunn, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, they stepped up every single series. It's true. I mean, it's it's so impressive. I can't get over how proud I am also being a Heat fan of this team. But 
will they will this be one of those things that just gets forgotten easily that Jimmy Butler had these great games the heat went on this great run that it will just be easily forgotten because the Lakers won number 17 in the bubble and it was the year Kobe passed tragically passed away I mean it's it kind of feels like one of those teams in a way I don't think it'll be entirely forgotten I just think that the Lakers narrative is obviously going to run rampant over the the heat narrative because I mean throughout the playoffs you've you've seen the coverage you've seen people saying oh Miami is having the Cinderella run Jimmy Butler is insane Tyler Hero Duncan Robinson are contributing where nobody really thought they would to this level so it, it's been a great story while it's been going on but when you look at say 20 years down the road people are not going to remember Jimmy Butler's two virtuoso performances and those two wins people are going to remember number 17 for LA and number four for Braun and arguably those two playoff those two wins for Jimmy Butler there were in the heat were arguably some of the best playoff performances we've ever seen. Easily. And those, I guarantee you, they will be forgotten pretty darn easily. Sebastian, what do you got? I don't think Game 5 will be forgotten. That's an all-time performance, period. Mm -hmm. That that is an all-time performance from any player. Um, I'm not saying the greatest, but it it is in that upper echelon of truly, truly great performances. That shot of Jimmy Butler hunching over the, uh, the divider... Um, right before, uh, oh. right before the end of the game, mm-hmm. just completely drained, is is an iconic image, and that that'll be one of the pictures, sporting pictures of the year, no doubt. Um, I don't think this this Heat team will be forgotten because I firmly believe that this team will be back. Uh, maybe they will. They're absolutely now just 100 percent in that um, finals conversation, um, probably further ahead than anybody because, like we've we've said nonstop, uh, the Heat are young. And the Heat will be here again, and again, and again. I'm not saying the Heat in general will be forgotten because obviously they like I, I'm, I'm in the same. I'm talking specifically about this core year. I'm not just talking about the the, the oh, organization. I'm just talking. No, I'm specifically just talking about this season. Will this Heat team in this run kind of be tossed to the wayside by the majority of basketball fans? I'm mean, obviously as a Heat fan, and a lot of the people down here, they're going to remember this because this is just one of those times where it's like, wow, I watched this all live. I was there for it all. Granted, not in person, but. We watch this and we experience this all together, but ultimately, Gary, we're talking about a truly unforgettable season um, from from start to finish. Yeah, it, uh, with that hiatus caused by um, coronavirus. Or, yeah, like with coronavirus, uh, the Disney bubble. Um, you know, the uh, it's not a Cinderella story, but it's it's a sure as hell an underdog story, rising to the occasion and, and pushing um, one of the greatest players of all time, one of the uh, one of the better Lakers sides. Uh, we've seen in a very, very long time. I agree. And it was um, it's the, that, six games. It's it's going yeah. to be it. Nobody's going to forget this Heat side. Nobody. I hope not, because this, like I said, it was an amazing run. But I want to see some. I don't know. Has anyone seen a a one shining moment for this year's bubble? Like I know they don't usually do one shining moment for this, but I feel like it's deserving. The NBA deserves it this time around. I, I have not seen one yet, but I, so, absolutely deserves. If someone finds it, send it my way. I want to see it, but. Uh, let's get on to some MLB playoffs. We've talked a lot yes, about sir. NBA. We can we can let the NBA have their moment of rest because they sure need it right now. I mean, they've worked their butt off for the past few months here getting this all going. But the MLB playoff, they are underway. The My, Miami Marlins, they lost. We can kind of just move on past that. Really? Are we going to? No, no, we won't. <laughs> I'm going to face the music. The Marlins lost to the Braves. The Braves killed the Marlins. They swept them. And... The Marlins just didn't look good. I mean, they the offense stalled. They couldn't uh, score runners when they were in scoring when they were in scoring position, and the pitching was looked pretty good. But the bullpen just wasn't up to snuff this time around. Yeah, and I mean, on the brave side of things, because that's where I tend to focus, given my fandom. 
I said a week ago that the 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 exemplary pitching that they showed in in their uh, opening series against the Reds, they were not going to be able to replicate that. Somehow they did outside of game one, and even then, like after Acuna got hit, uh, it was an eight one ball game in game one. So the pitching stepped up after that. And I mean, two shutout games in games two and three to seal the the sweep. I, I was floored. I, I thought the Marlins were a, a much better. T- I mean, th- they are a great team. They made the playoffs. They made the second round. Mm-hmm. But I, I expected it to be a, lo- a lot closer, um, sort of three close games in a four-game series. But I mean, I can't complain. Well, one thing that I said last week was going to be a key to victory for the Marlins is not relying on the long ball. And in game one, they really did rely on that long ball. They had a couple of home runs in that game, but... When when I said they can't rely on it, they had to make runs happen other ways. They had to get them on, get them over, get them in. They had to knock the ball into the gap, and they just couldn't. And that was the Marlins' style of baseball that they played all year long, and they kind of got away from it. So I'm I'm optimistic about this Marlins team going forward, just like I am about the Heat. They're look both looking good for the in the future. So I'm not worried. But let's talk about the present though, because yeah. that's what is really important. Because your Sebastian's Rays are now up 2-0 in the series against the Astros, and the Braves' uh, first pitch will be out about in 10 minutes yeah, in in the first game of the 2020 season, other than spring training. We'll sweep that to the side, but a meaningful game that has fans in attendance. Mm-hmm. I mean, how does it feel really to kind of be a Braves fan right now, and what are your expectations for this series against the Rays? It feels great, honestly, uh, especially given the past few seasons of playoff disappointments, uh, losing to the Dodgers in the in the uh, divisional series two years ago. I mean, the Braves were never really expected to win that. That was they were ahead of schedule by a year, so I can live with that loss. But last year, losing in five to St. Louis in the divisional series, that 10, 10 run first inning in Game Five that just broke my spirit, broke the spirits of every Atlanta sports fan. I was expecting more of the same, even as early as against the Reds. And when the Marlins went up in game one, I was like, okay, it was just delayed by one series. We're going to get out now. But so far, it hasn't happened. So it's been a really enjoyable run. And hopefully, I mean, I, I am not expecting the Braves to, to win this series against the Dodgers. I just think their lineup is way too stacked. I think they are going to take care of the Braves in, I'd say, five games. I wouldn't be surprised if it goes six. But I, I just think the Braves starting pitching luck has to run out at some point. And against arguably the deepest lineup in baseball, is the perfect time for it to run out. So I've enjoyed the run up to this point. I hope the Braves can stay competitive in this series, but if this is where they bow out, I'm at peace. Max, do you have anything on this series between the Braves and the Dodgers? Because I do, I'm agreeing with you. I, I think the Dodgers are going to take this one, but I do expect it to be a competitive series just due to the nature of both of these teams. I definitely think it's going to be a competitive series. The Dodgers are have talent everywhere in their lineup, but the Braves are 5-0. They've allowed 24 runs and. They've allowed less than one run per game. So they're playing incredible during the series, and let's see if they can move on during the Dodgers series. Yeah, uh, yeah that's that's a good number, was it? You said one run, they're averaging one run a game, giving up-wise, which is just... Yeah, they've allowed less than one run per game. Yeah, that's four, four runs in five games. That's insane. crazy. I mean, you that's how you win ball games. That's how you win in the playoffs, just having that clutch pitching. But yeah, we'll see if it can hold up. What... Luckily, they're going up against Clayton Kershaw, yeah. the perennial choker. <laughs> yeah. So you at least have that going for you. But they're going against Clayton Kershaw, but they're also going against Cody Bellinger, Mookie Betts. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 was, I wasn't going to get into such deep detail, but I was cherry picking yeah. with the Clayton Kershaw one yeah. right there. But uh, Sebastian, your Rays—they're two wins away 
from the first world from their first World Series appearance since 2009, 11 years removed from uh, losing at the hands of the Philadelphia Phillies. What are your thoughts on this team, and do you see the Rays actually making it out of this series? I honestly believe that if this team were to face the 2018, this team would win handily. At the very least, a 4-1. This team feels like an infinitely more complete team um, than that 2008 team. Um, it's a, they're, they're similar in kind of you know, the grand design, but I have way more confidence in this team than I, uh, than I did in the 2018. Granted, I was, how old was I? I was 13, I want to say, when, uh, when the 2018, uh, made the, made the pennant. No, that's, I'm too old. For oh, I'm thinking wait, 2000. Wait oh, it was 2008. Yeah. Not 09. 09 was Phillies Yankees. 08 yeah. was, yeah, your raise, uh, so, against the so Phillies. 2008. So I was, no, actually, no, I was way younger. I was, that was nine 12, years that was old. That was 12. Was yeah. 12 minus 22. 2008 plus we're in 2020, man. You're, we're we're sports broadcasters. We can't do math. I can't you were 10 years let's old. Let's <laughs> not get bogged down on how old everybody was. Okay, yeah. Okay, let's but, get to the game. <laughs> let's but. get to the game. So I was uh, I've been watching this game, uh, or I watched today's game pretty vicariously the last three innings at least through Twitter because you know we were here at the station, and um, I I was clenching pretty hard um, in that last inning because Nick Anderson. Uh, loaded the bases not one but not once but twice after one uh, before and one after a double play, and um, they scraped that they they limped out of that ninth inning uh, with the win. Fortunately, 2-0 like um, like I said before is a very very strong lead. Uh, it's not infallible though, and I'm just um, as as a Rays fan and as a uh, spectator, I'm just going to take the series one game at a time and focus on this series before I worry about. Anything um, on anything that's going to come out of the National League. Now, we'll, whatever comes out in the National League, I will say that I'm also worried that history will repeat. Um, whoever's coming out, be it Atlanta or uh, Los Angeles, is going to look to end a major playoff or World Series drought. Guess what Philly was dealing with in 2008? A major World Series drought, a 30-year-long one. Uh, but so, aren't the Rays dealing with the longest World Series drought, which is just never? <laughs> I don't think the math really works like that. Gary. I'm creating the math in so, my own head like that di- way. Something like divide by zero. Yes, yeah. exactly. But okay, so with the predictions, let's get into these quick predictions here. Will you name an AL team? Because right now it's still undecided. AL team no. A. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Remember, remember what I did for hockey? I didn't I'm, name an AL team. Uh, Eastern, Eastern Conference, Conference mm-hmm. team, and look what happened there. So I'm not saying anything. That's fair. Okay, whatever. So you got you're still sticking with the Dodgers. I think all of us have the Dodgers. Max, who do you have in this World Series this year? Taking the whole World Series? Just getting to the World Series. You don't have to give out a winner right now. We just need the uh, winner of the I, I AL and NL. Have, I definitely have the Dodgers. Okay. And I, I would love to see the Dodgers versus the Astros and them get their revenge. I like that pick, man. I, that's what I got, too. I'm sticking with the Astros. They're starting to catch you fire prefer, right now. You prefer the, the Dodgers win over the win for the entirety of baseball? I, I was cho- well, I, I, I I'm... I was actually choosing the Astros to win it all, so that's even better right there for the whole narrative of just screw you. But, uh, Austin, are you making any amendments in your Braves fandom? I'm not, no. Maybe after game one tonight, if Max Fried puts on another master class, I can say, like, Dodgers in seven as opposed to five, but I'm not. All right, so we'll see how that goes. That's going to be a fun series. I'm really excited for all this playoff baseball, and I'm excited to actually see what fans in a baseball game is going to be like Mm -hmm. for the first time in a long time. We haven't seen that in a while. I'm excited, but let's talk about some NFL football because they're they're continuing to go through their troubles, 
And we have seen the most recent NFL announcement for game changes because <laughs> there's been a lot yeah. of them. We, I'll read them through quickly, very quickly. You got the Broncos and the Patriots. They'll now be played week six at, on Sunday. Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills week six Thursday night game has been moved to Monday night still of week six. The Jets and the Dolphins were moved from week 10 to week 6. The Jets and the Chargers were moved from week 6 to week 11. The Jaguars and the Chargers were moved from week 8 to week 7. The Chargers and the Broncos game was moved from week 11 to week 8. The Chargers and the Dolphins game was moved from week 7 to week 10. And the Dolphins and the Broncos game was moved from week 6 to week 11. That was a lot. Take a deep breath. (laughs) But yeah, they're continuing to go through their COVID struggles, and it's something that's going to persist, but do we think they're going to hit the point kind of the MLB did where around like right after the Cardinals started to get their uh, illnesses that it kind of really just stopped or will we kind of see the snowball even further I would like to think this is where it stops because so far we only know uh, as far as I'm aware we only know of outbreaks in the Titans and Patriots organizations and a lot of these reschedulings are just based off of who they've played in, in recent weeks so I mean I haven't heard of any new positives out of the Patriots I mean the Titans their situation was getting ugly last time I checked. So if they can keep those players in quarantine, if they can instill some discipline in those players to, to not go into public settings where they are at risk for contracting coronavirus, uh, because every other team in the league has managed to, to uh, fulfill that, uh, that protocol. So if they can get a handle on that, then even with all these rescheduled Monday night, du- Monday night doubleheader, Tuesday night games uh, that are going to put strains on players, um, I think the NFL is going to get out of this somehow, some way. Yeah, it's going to be a lot to deal with. But, Max, I want to get your thoughts on this before we go. we got a couple minutes left here. The one big, I think the one big story from this weekend was Dak Prescott and his terrible injury. He had a bro- suffered a broken ankle against the New York Giants on Sunday afternoon. He had uh, surgery on it. It was successful. It was a great surgery, according to the doctor. But now what is in question is, the Cowboys didn't give him that re-signing bonus at the going into this season. He's going to be a free agent at the end of this year, most likely will be franchise tagged, but where do you think the Cowboys and Dak's relationship go from here? Because it's really, really shaky right now. I mean, I definitely don't think he's going to get his $500 million that he's been asking for. And uh, he's made a mistake going for it before, but they definitely have to sign him later. Andy Dalton isn't there quarterback for the future but as of this series as of this season I think Andy Dalton wouldn't be that bad in the in that team and he might be the best or the second best QB in that division in that horrendous division that's a really sad statement but it's probably true <laughs> that's that's a fair statement right there I don't blame you for that one do you do we have anyone that could win this NFC East because it is a toss-up right now it's still a toss-up and it will probably be a toss-up up until week 17 i mean if the eagles can get their offensive line situation sorted out then maybe they can have a chance to sneak in to the top spot at seven and nine six and ten i think that's going to be what wins this division especially with dak prescott out for the cowboys uh because the washington football team they're a bit of a mess especially at quarterback alex is back though yeah i mean that's that's, that's one of the huge that's one of the greatest stories from this weekend and i'm i'm a little sad that we couldn't touch on that a bit more because mm-hmm. Like, every snap that he was under center, I was kind of holding my breath. I was thinking, what if? Just the worst possible scenario. But, I mean, 
it was great to see him on a field. So. I agree. Well, I, I saw his second snap, and Aaron Donald sacked him. That was I think terrifying. they they piled him like with like four players, and I got so scared. He yeah. rode him like a backpack. I'm yeah. sh- I swore that was yeah. him, and I was like, don't put that pressure on his leg. He cannot take another grown man standing on him like that. But thankfully, he's healthy still right now. Hopefully, Dak can get healthy again and get out there because he's fun to watch when he is at his at the top of his game. But I believe that's all we got for this episode of Tomahawk Talk. So thank you, Max, for joining in for myself, for Austin, for Sebastian, for Gabe, for Scott. We thank you for tuning in. And this is Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.